Thank you for joining us today. Let us be the first to say, Welcome home. To keep you up to date on what's happening at John Wesley, here are a few announcements. Are you a first-time guest? Be sure to stop by our Welcome Center for more information on how you can get more involved through our online services and classes. We would like to take this time to thank you for your faithfulness in joining us every Sunday and for your support to JW through giving. We invite you to give online, mail, through text, or in the offering boxes on your way out. Let's continue to connect people to Jesus. We encourage you to continue to visit our website at www.jwumc.org or visit our social media pages for up-to-date information on Sunday services, safety guidelines, and upcoming events. So please, join us in welcoming Pastor Marty Dunbar as we continue the sermon series, Just As He Promised, Episode 3. sharing that original song with us. Appreciate that. Anytime you share something like that of your heart, God's place in your heart, um, it's always a vulnerable time, but uh, we really appreciate his talent and how he uses them for the Lord here at our church. Now, last weekend I was gone. I was out. Appreciate Chris McCarthy uh, sharing a great message with y'all last week. And uh, yeah, let's give him a round of applause as well because uh, it it was a, I heard Great things. I was watching it online, of course, and it was a great service. We, uh, I went out of town last week because for two reasons. I was going to help my dad move into a sort of a senior living facility, uh, community, active community type thing uh, into a two-bedroom condo where he would live. And then also I was going to go see my daughter at Baylor in Waco and we were going to have a little Kaya Mega uh, sorority dad daughter weekend, and that weekend actually got canceled because of some COVID issues, and so I still had my hotel reservations, but I, I went down there and uh, or went up there, was down from DFW, and we uh, hung out and, and just enjoyed ourselves. Went to church on Sunday, and it was great to be with my daughter by myself. Now back to my dad. My dad, uh, many of you know my mom has Alzheimer's and she's in a place where she's in an Alzheimer's home, a, a memory care facility. And my dad is in this house and he's like, I'm just gonna sell the house. Uh, I wanna sell the house. I wanna probably downsize even more. I don't need to be in this house. And so he was gonna have a state sale next week. And we were supposed to, he said, come on up, figure out what furniture and things you want and take it home with you. And whatever you don't want, I'm going to sell. Now, he did get a storage unit. My sister went up there a couple weeks ago, helped him out, and put some things in the storage that he wanted to keep and that were important to him. He gave us some things, memories and memory boxes that we had. But also, I had the opportunity to go up there and just kind of put my name on a few things that weren't called already by my sister and my brother who lived closer in the DFW area. And my brother had uh, took a couple of pieces and, and then there was a few left. And, and I grabbed this armoire, I grabbed a, a secretary desk and I grabbed this other little bench that we, we had growing up and during uh, all those years. My parents were into antiques. And so they had these beautiful antiques They grew up in the Midwest, and I grew up in the Midwest, so I was like eight. And so there's some beautiful 
pieces of furniture that they had. And my brother took this massive hutch with him, and my dad uses part of it for like his TV stuff right now. But it's like, you know, it's one of those things that would cost you like four or five grand just to, to go buy it at a, you know, an antique show. And just beautiful pieces of furniture. And so I loaded it up in the stuff that I took home, this armoire, this desk, this bench, a couple other little things, and some china and some dishes that my mom had that remind us of her. And we stuck it in the back of the truck, and I tarped it. It was raining, things like that, hauled it home. I kind of looked like the clampets a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, it was worth it. But when I got this stuff home, stuck it in the garage till we find a place for it in our house or in storage, and, and the plan is to restore it. The plan is to sort of make it a little fresher. And, it, and I began to look at all this stuff, and I, I began to look at this armoire. Jamie came out, she looked at it, and she's like, that thing's a little bit more beat up than we thought, you know? And, and, and here's the thing is, even if we restore it, it's never going to be as good as new, is it? It's never going to be as good as new. But when we're dealing with our Heavenly Father, the truth is when God promises, God delivers, doesn't he? And God promised to redeem all things. He has promised to save all things. He's promised to restore all things. And God delivers. And there's a, this great truth. When God promises to restore things, they will be better than new. They will be better than new. I hope you believe that promise because when that will actually happen. There's a, a place in Germany. I say it wrong every time. Abramagah. Anyway, Obramagau or something like that, okay? It's like a place where they have a passion play. And it's been going on since in 1634. And every 10 years, every decade, they do this play. And the story goes that this Bavarian village in Germany decided to put on this passion play, which basically is a representation of the last hours of Jesus' life leading up to the crucifixion. And they do it in an outdoor theater, and like 4,800 villagers, it's kind of a small village, all participate in this play. And it came out of the 30 Years' War. 30 Years' War during that time was the European powers where had all these skirmishes going across Europe, mainly in Germany. And Germany, the people in Germany had problems with destruction, their homes and their farmland, famine, plague was uh, running rampant, the black, uh, you know, the black death, black plague. And, and so all this stuff was going on. And, and this little town had 48, no, sorry, 84 villagers who died of the plague one time. And that was 1632. And they decided that they were going to make a deal with God. They said, we will actually put on a play, a drama of the last hours of Christ's life if you will protect our village, God, from the plague. Now, the story goes that ever since that little deal was made with God, that the plague, the Black Death, never claimed any life in that village ever again. And the villagers actually made good on their promise. So in 1634, they staged their first passion play on a theater little thing in a cemetery. As we think about the season of Lent in which we're in in church, it culminates with Easter morning. And there's this promise 
that God keeps, that changes everything. And it's the resurrection, right? It's the very foundation of Christianity, the very foundation of our faith that we are restored today and for eternity. And he made a promise and he kept that promise. And he is making all things new and he's actually making them better than new. Today in our scripture story, we're gonna see, I'm gonna read it here in a minute, that Jesus promises destruction, but he also promises restoration. And so if you got your Bible, you can open it up to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. So we have the fourth Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is what it says. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area, He saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Jesus is clearing out the temple courts. We've heard this story before, probably. It actually happens in every single gospel. Some scholars believe that maybe it happened more than once because it's told in different places within this this gospel. And so maybe Jesus was so frustrated every time he saw this that he sort of, he tried to cleanse the temple in this manner, this sort of righteous anger. Jesus wreaks havoc, wreaks destruction on the outdoor courts, the outer courts of the temple. Well, he says, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And what did he mean? Access to God and access to worship had turned into something else. Like for you to go worship, like if you were gonna come here in person and worship today at church, you were gonna have to buy a cow or you're gonna have to buy a lamb or you're gonna have to buy a bird or, or something. And then maybe you had the wrong money because you came from somewhere else on your pilgrimage. And so then I'd upcharge the, the exchange, right, for that money or I'd upcharge the doves because I was gonna to have to go to exchange the money or whatever it was. And so all this stuff was keeping people from just simply praying and being in the presence of God is what they so thought at this temple, this hub of, of faith in Jerusalem. But it was corrupted by religion. It was corrupted by all this this money-hungry folks who were trying to keep this temple going, this place. But Jesus' very presence 
there was because there was going to be no need for any more sacrifice after the cross. That, that was his purpose, right, to, for, for, for being here. Now, this temple, uh, like I said before, sort of had the, they believed it was the presence of God, and so they needed to be in the presence of God. They needed to get to, into these this areas of worship, and so they had to deal with all this stuff, and they had to deal with the sacrificial system and, and all that stuff. And, and the temple didn't even house God's presence anymore because the very symbol of God's presence was the Ark of the Covenant for these people. And the Ark of the Covenant was lost long ago, whether the people knew it or not. You know, it's very interesting, and this is going to happen. You're going to hear this. When Jesus dies on the cross and the, the curtain is torn in two in the temple, that was in a place in which revealed the very presence of God was supposed to be right there where the Ark was supposed to be, and there was no Ark. So basically, there were just frauds. The presence of God was gone. The presence of God was in their midst, and they didn't even know it. So in verse 18, these leaders say, if God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. And Jesus says, well, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And we know it's not the physical temple that he was surrounded by. That's become obsolete in Jesus' ministry. And he was trying to share that, of course, with these religious leaders, whether they liked it or not. But that, that place, that physical place, yes, that's where they went, but it was obsolete. He was talking about that physical body, fully human, fully divine, that housed the very presence of God, right? And you just destroy this temple, and, and they did do that, didn't they? They hung him on a cross. And then three days later, God brought him back to life, raised him from the dead. Promise made, promise kept. Promise made, promise kept. We're talking about the promises of God. Promise made, promise kept. Now, also, have you ever, uh, you watch home improvement shows on like hometown, uh, like hometown uh, on HGTV and some other different things? I do. I love this show, Hometown. They're in Laurel, Mississippi. Uh, you might have seen Ben and Aaron Napier. Just a great couple, great family. Uh, they do some great stuff. I, I love the intro to their show. They talk about how they're going to go through the entire town, this old little town uh, of Laurel, Mississippi, and they're going to restore it. You know, they're going to rebuild it and, and, and bring new life to it in these, these old homes. And I love that. And I watch shows like this, and I think to myself, that's some hard work right there right? I mean, that's not easy at all. I mean, to make something new or to make it better than it was before, it takes demolition. It takes destruction. It takes a lot of time. It takes effort. I mean, it takes rebuilding. It just takes hard work. So again, in our scripture today, Jesus, he promises destruction, right? But he also promises restoration. See, God promises restoration. God promises transformation as well. Of all of us, of all things, like things are being made new, things are being made better, 
What does that mean for us? I mean, that's, that's cool stuff, you know, like pie in the sky stuff. You know, if you're young, if you're, you're older, like, yeah, we've heard that before. That's neato. You know, what does that mean? How do we fully claim that promise? Like, what does restoration, transformation mean to us? Like, right now as a parent or as a grandparent or as a man or a woman, whatever, wherever we find ourselves. Well, I think for us, we have to accept We have to accept God's hard work sometimes in our life. We have to accept God's hard work. The scripture story in which Jesus destroys this market or brings destruction to that market, nothing actually was made new during that time, was it? Until the cross, till the blood, till the sweat, till the tears, until the death. And then, then new life came. It brings new life. I think we need to accept God's hard work, but it's not always what you think. So stick with me. It's not always what you think. See, a lot of times when we think, well, um, we got to accept God's hard work on our life, we think of being broke by God. Um, Is God trying to break me? Right, it's like Rocky Balboa, right? Rocky uh, Part Four, I guess it was. It was Ivan Drago. I will break you. You remember that? I will break you. You know, and Apollo Creed on the I will break you. Um, that was the main line, you know, that we all remember. And it, spiritual truth is this: we are born in an original state of brokenness. Don't 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 tune me out yet. God doesn't need you to break you. You're already broken. Jesus Christ wants to heal you. Jesus Christ wants to heal you, and he has done the hard work. Sometimes we just need to to participate in that, right? And we need to allow that to happen and believe that. Now, for me, it's just me personally, but for me, I can't give myself over to God. I can't rest in God's promises and God's peace and God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace and all that stuff. If I think at any moment, God is just gonna unleash some horrible thing and try to break me. That's not the God I worship. That's not the God I wanna know, actually. If some, he's gonna intend something to just break me. Now, you might be saying to yourself right now, you're listening to this, but yeah, God's God. And I'm, yeah, God's God, I understand. God can do whatever God wants to do, but I'm actually not saying that God doesn't do parental discipline. He is a perfect parent. He is the perfect heavenly father, and he does discipline his children. God also allows natural consequences to happen. If you choose to do some things in your free will, you might end up getting broken. It wasn't God's plan for you, but it was your own plan for you, right? But the thing is this, there's no retribution or punishment from God because you're not perfect. It just doesn't happen. It's not in the ministry of Jesus. Right? Just because you can't please God, right? We don't please God by anything other than faith. 
Now, Psalm 51, you might be saying, hey, that kicked off Lent for us, right? Psalm 51, you know, it was a big confession, and we all said it together, and uh, there's verse 10 and verse 17, and in there, Scripture says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken and contrite heart. God is not going to break you as a whole. He's going to break your pride, right? He's going to break your will. That's way different. To break us is contrary to God's will. Because God's in the transformation business, isn't he? We believe that. That's one of our core beliefs here at John Wesley is this. God is big enough to shape and transform, right, our lives, our life story, right? God's big enough, and he, could, he is big enough to transform, to shape and transform our life story. Now, we don't need to be praying for God to break us, to break you. Because more brokenness ultimately won't change you. It's just gonna bring more brokenness into your life. It's not gonna transform your heart because God's trying to heal you. God's trying to bring your brokenness and, and heal it so that you can actually move closer to having a heart like him. See, God's not a breaker. God is the one broken for you, isn't he? God is not a breaker. He is the one broken for you. In Psalm 34, it said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Why do we ignore these scriptures at times? Again, God is not the breaker. God is the one who is broken for you. And there's three things that we can do then. Why not have something we can do, right? Three things that we can do real quickly as we close. We can trust, we can believe, and we can live. And those are words we use all the time, especially in Christianity and faith. Trust, believe, live. What does that mean, trust? Trust that he is doing the work, that he did the hard work. It's like yeast in, your, in the bread. You can't always see it, but you gotta trust that it's working, right? And then believe. I mean, God is making all things new, and that includes you. That includes you. Every moment can be a fresh start. You can replace unhealthy patterns in your life with healthy ones. You can love people because they need to be loved and it's not just for your own benefit, it's for their benefit, right? You can stop hiding and embrace your true self. You can also, um, this is the thing that really gets people, and this is too, so gospel, it's like scandalous. You are righteous even when your behavior shows you are not. Because you're righteous in Christ. And then we're called to live. I wanna encourage all of us, and I need it each and every day, enjoy God for who God is, right? Enjoy God and learn how to do that because you want to, not because you're scared of him that he's gonna break you, right? And, and love God, enjoy God for who he is, not because you're scared he's gonna show up because you didn't do something right and he's gonna break you. God is not your breaker. God is the one broken for you. Because in communion here in just a second, I'm gonna grab that bread and I'm gonna say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ given for you, broken for our restoration, 
broken for our transformation, and ultimately broken for our resurrection. That's a promise. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for all that you have given to us and continue to give to each and every one of us, even the invitation, Lord, to know you. And Lord, I pray for the person that's struggling with brokenness in their life right now. Or maybe it's because they've done something and, and they think you're punishing them. I pray that they will see your love and your grace and your ultimate desire to transform them. And not just to break them, you're trying to heal them. So Lord, this is an invitation to each and every one of us to, to meet you at this altar, to meet you in, at a time in which we understand that you are broken for us, broken for our salvation, our transformation, our resurrection. And we pray. Amen and amen. And now it is our privilege to join in the liturgy before we approach the special table. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we join in praise in your name and join in their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection. You gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to you, and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. He took the cup. He gave thanks. Gave it to his disciples. He said, take and drink. This is the blood of the new covenant that was shed for you and shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And every time you do this, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in the praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, through your Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. And now with the confidence of heaven, let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Amen.